I don't want you to stand, but I do want you to look at the screen and look at the scripture with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Because I think this is so important because it really deals with the topic of rhythm. How to have the rhythm of God. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, it tells you and I that we need to learn the rhythm of God and walk in what we call faith. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Can we say that together? For we walk by faith and not by sight. I want to talk to you this morning about getting God's rhythm, how to have God's rhythm so you can walk by faith and not by your own sight. So get some rhythm today because most of us does not have it. And I don't mean because you can't pop lock. You don't have the rhythm of God. So I want you to think about this this morning. I've already prayed. So me drawing out along in prayer to impress you does no good. So I've already prayed. I'm already ready. I'm locked and loaded. So I need you to do something for me today. Lean in these next few moments. And thank you, Pat. You'll come back shortly and make me feel more anointed. But I want you to lean into these next few moments because I want to talk to you about getting some rhythm. In these 21 days, many times when people start off the year, they started off with prayer and fasting and they start making uh, declarations or they make, you know, New Year's resolutions. And many times what happens in the natural, how many of you have made New Year's resolutions? Let me see your hand. How many of you have not kept your New Year's resolution? See, both hands and a foot up, right in the back. It's, it's been said that after 10 days of making a New Year's resolution, many people fail to execute and implement what they made a declaration to do. So in other words, they make these commitments, they make these things only to fall short. Let's take it to the spiritual. Many times we start off the year and we say, well, I'm going to read, I'm going to read an hour of the Bible every day. And so the first week of the year, the first day of the year, you start off and you've got, you're not, you got, you got 30 minutes down and you go, I'm going to do better the next day. And the next day it's 20 minutes. I'm going to do better the next day. I'm going to get that hour in of reading. And then the next day it's maybe five. And what happens? And then you get, you get discouraged. You get kind of, you kind of get distraught. And so many times we do that in church. We say, we're going to pray. 21 days. We're going to fast 21 days. Everybody starts off, yeah, we're going to do it, only to find themselves missing the mark, not implementing what God has called them to do, not because God called them to do it, because they've got out of the rhythm of what God really wants for their life. So I want to encourage a different thought. Instead of taking this to a three-day, a six-day, a 21-day, how about getting into a yearly rhythm of what God would have for you? Because many times, if we don't understand the rhythm, we don't understand culture. Many people have an upbringing, and it's a rhythm. It's a culture of how they were raised, certain things they've done, certain things they make, certain things they eat, a culture of bringing people together for sports, go Niners, bringing people together. Sorry, Raiders. I want you to know. I talked about a couple of Sundays ago. What are all these people doing now with Raider tattoos now that the Raiders are gone? They're, they're now the Las Vegas. You might put an LV on them. I don't know. But there's something to be said about getting in the rhythm of Almighty God. God wants us to live in this dimension of faith, to step into his rhythm. Because here's what faith does. Now think about it. Faith receives it as it comes from God. 
God said to a man by the name of Abraham who had a different culture. He had a different rhythm. He told this guy, Abraham, I want you to leave your country and I'm going to show you a land you've never seen before. But instead of just leaving your country, I don't want you to take certain things with you to this new land. I want you to leave your father. I want you to leave your, your, your past. I want you to leave all these things that you've held on to in your old culture because I'm going to show you a new culture and a new rhythm that you've never seen before. In other words, he's telling Abraham, and I think God's telling us in the 21st century in 2020, I want to take you on a journey. I want to take your past culture and the things that you've held to that has been your floor, and now I'm going to make them your, uh, that's been your ceiling, and now I'm going to turn them into your floor. I'm going to take that thing that you felt like you've hit your limit. You felt like you couldn't go above it. Now I'm going to take you on a journey and show you a new rhythm, a new culture. God said to Abraham, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your father. He's into idolatry. He's into servicing and worshiping other gods. And I want you to follow me because I have a culture and a rhythm for you like you've never known. Abraham started walking by faith one step at a time to the destiny God has for him. And I think God wants you and I to walk one step at a time in faith to the destiny he has for us. Not setting goals that we can't achieve. Not doing things that others have done because they've done it. But doing things because God calls us to do it. Because he wants us to live in a rhythm and a culture for his honor and for his glory. And Abraham, by faith, he started taking this step one step at a time to the destiny that God had to him and had for him. And the scriptures say something interesting. They say that he gained his full inheritance. I don't know about y'all, but I love that because I want to gain my full inheritance. I don't want to go to heaven on, 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 on full where I, I had so many things I could have done on this earth, so many dreams that could have been fulfilled, so many destiny things and destiny moments. And I go to heaven and God says, you're still on full. I had all these things for you, but you didn't get into my rhythm and you left them on earth when I had all these things for you, but you just couldn't get in step with me. The scriptures say the steps of the righteous are ordered of God and so are the stops. So I don't believe it's a matter of I got to do this to get that and I've got to go here and strive to get this. I think it's a matter of rhythm and Abraham steps into the rhythm of God and now Abraham has an opportunity as he took his left you lot with him and God tells him one day, I want you to look out there and I'm going to show you your full inheritance. But there are certain things and certain people that can't go with you to the destiny that I have for you, Abraham. So Abraham knew that his lot, his lot was his, 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 his nephew, that Lot was kind of having trouble. As Abraham's blessing was growing, his herds, his, his success, it was growing. The land that they were living in was getting smaller and smaller. So God said, Abraham, I'm going to take you to another place. And then what happened was amazing because Abraham being the senior of that society, he had every right to choose which real estate he wanted. He had every right as an older man to tell his nephew Lot, hey, I'm going here, you go here. But what did he do? He showed grace and he let Lot choose which real estate he wanted. And Lot chose the beautiful plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a bad choice. 
The word Lot means veil, like a veil of a curtain. And as soon as Lot the veil and his herdsmen were gone, God said to Abraham, let me show you another level because you've stepped into my rhythm and my ways, which are not your ways. I want you, Abraham, to look north, south, east, and west, and all the land you see, I'm going to give it to you as your full inheritance. Your nation will be born out of you. Kings will come out of your loins. Here's the point I'm making. As soon as Lot was taken out of Abraham's life, Lot means veil. God showed him his full inheritance that he had for him. Sometimes, sometimes God takes people away from you so he can show you what he has for you. And there are some times that he begins to extract things from our lives, not to hurt us, not to, not to, to harm us, but to take us to another place, to show us a rhythm and in step with God that we've never known before. Sometimes there are people in your life who are a veil. I say that respectfully because sometimes they're family members, they're friends at work, they're coworkers, they're veils who keep you from seeing God's perfect will for your life. So what I'm telling you today is there are sometimes some people in our lives that you've got to learn to let them go. Let him go. Let her go. If God is trying to take people out of your life, let them. And if God's trying to bring people into your life, you need to let them do that. Some people are looking for a husband. Some people are looking for a wife. You know how it starts? By you being friendly. You can't go around looking like a bulldog baptized in lemon juice. Christian.com. I'm single. I'm ready to mingle. That's why some Christians end up missionary dating. And then they end up with a serial killer. But I'll move on. But it's so important if you're going to, if you're going to attract the right people, you got to look friendly. You got you you to show yourself a friendly person. An old maid was asked, how come she's never been married? And she thought about it. She said, well, I've never been married because I, I, I have everything I need. I have a stove that smokes, I got a parrot that cusses, and I got a cat that stays out all night. What do I need a man for? Some of you are living with that man. But my point is, sometimes the best relationships, they take nerve. They take, they take a risk. You do not get the best things in life by playing it safe, living in an old wineskin or an old culture because this is how we used to do it, and this is what I used to be involved in, and this is what I used to do to get success. Maybe God's saying, I've got something new for you. I've got a new destiny for you. I've got something greater for you down the road. But it starts with taking down what is good and receiving God's best and getting in the rhythm of God. Can anybody help me preach this this morning? If you want something exciting, you got to say, you know what? We got to do something we've never done because it's been said, if you want something you've never had, you've got to do something you've never done. You know, it never ceases to amaze me because people are crazy. Some people are absolutely crazy. I mean, if you get in a group of four and three of them look okay, you're the crazy one. Some of you are counting one, two, Three. She's mm, cray cray. I think there's something about the people and the culture in which they live in. 
Because culture is so important to have the right culture, the right culture around you, the right culture that cultivates your dreams and, and the good things that are out of you and not, and not embed in you the wrong things. Culture is so important, but it never ceases to amaze me. People are funny because they, they, they get into a new year or something new and they say, well, I've got to do this crazy new thing and I've got to, I've got to, I, I, I just, I just want to, I want to arrange this and I want to improve that. And so instead of making things that they have, better, they just start going crazy. So in marriage relationships, in essence, some people, they say, well, I want something new. And so they, they cite irreconcilable differences and they, they get a divorce. And now, because they've been in a rut so long, they think that by signing irreconcilable differences, getting a divorce, that now it's going to be miraculous and change. But what's interesting, you ever see people that do that, then they go out, they, they, get, them, they get themselves a new wardrobe, they throw the one they've had on since Noah got off the ark. They throw that one away. Then they find themselves going to charm school. They get themselves a personality. Then they go out on singlemate.com. And then they find out they get this new person, and they like 80%, but they don't like the 20%. And then they wish their old person was there who had all the good stuff. Hey, if you just would have worked on the first one in the first place, maybe it wouldn't have gone the way you think it would have gone. I'm telling you, maybe, just maybe, something different needs to change. And it's not your situation. It's not this or that, but it's you. But it's you saying, God, let me step into your rhythm and let me change. So how do you get into the rhythm of God? Because it's so important that you and I catch the rhythm of God because the rhythm of God is revival. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in any dead old time religion. I want to live in a place where God's moving, where God's anointing, God's hope, God's healing, the things of God, where he takes my inadequacies of my life and your life, and he uses them for his glory. But it all starts with giving up what's good and going after the best, because God wants the best for us. But we have to be willing to try something new, to do something we've never done before. Stop and think about it as we get ready to close and Pat comes. Why do people become content? And they're going in circles, not because they like going in circles. They become content in doing the same old stuff because they lose sight of a goal. Remember, if you do not have a goal in a dream, young people, someone else will use you to achieve their goal and their dream. If you don't have a goal in a dream, how are you going to know you've ever accomplished anything? Some people just go in perpetual circles thinking they're going to get somewhere they've never got before, but they end up at the same destination. Life is about taking a risk. How do you spell faith, Joey? R-I-S-K. Take the risk. And when you get into the step and rhythm of God, you'll realize that God has an exciting journey for you. But you've got to set a goal. You've got to set a dream for your life. You've got to do something that you've never done before and start realizing God has me in a place to live big because I serve a big God, to dream big dreams. Have you forgotten about your goal? Have you forgotten about your dream? Maybe God through this message, and it's an amazing one by me, by the way, maybe through this message, even though you're not letting it on, but it's cool. Maybe through this message, God is saying, I want you to do something different. I want you to get a hold of the rhythm of God and do something you've never done before. Act in faith. Speak in faith. Declare those things that are not as though they are to reach your divine destiny. But some people, they just, because of their back culture, because of their upbringing, they get so familiar with misery. Oh, I like it out here. 
Oh, I like this, this atmosphere of, of, of poverty mentality. Oh, I like, I like when people yell at me. I don't. Oh, I like it. You know, that's just, they just, they just blowing off steam. They just like doing what they're doing. Oh, they, you know, I had, to, I had a lady one time tell me years ago, Joey, he only hits me when he's drunk. And I said, the next time you get a frying pan and hit him back. She said, well, how dare you say something like that? That's my husband. I said, he shouldn't be if he's going to hit you. He's not honorable and worthy enough to be married to you. You say, well, Joey, you shouldn't say those type of things. I should say those type of things. Because sometimes people don't realize that they get themselves in a rut because of a culture and an upbringing. And I'm not knocking anybody's upbringing and culture. I have a crazy culture. Half my life was raised in Southern living. The other half was raised in a Hispanic home, in a Hispanic family. So I'm all messed up. But my point is, I'm not going to let my culture and the way I was raised keep me from experiencing the rhythm and the miracles of God. I'm not going to let it happen. God's looking for a people who will reach out and receive his very best. I'm talking to people today that are kings and priests unto God, not paupers and lowlifes, not all sinners saved by grace. I'm talking to kings and priests and queens unto the most high God. You are royalty. You need to realize that you're royal. You need to act like it. You need to think like it. You need to talk like it. You need to speak like it. You're not an heir apparent. You're an heir right now. That means what the Bible says you can have right now. That healing that's coming, you can have it right now. The freedom that you need to have, you can have it right now. You That relationship, call it in right now. God's got great things for us. But you have to give up what's good to get in the rhythm of God to receive God's best. So this is the thing. How do we get into that rhythm? I think there's four simple ways one of them is you step into the rhythm by making the Bible a prominent place in your life. Not starting off the year by saying, I'm going to read the entire New Testament. I've taken people throughout 10 years of ministry in this community through all the scriptures and all. How many people out of those thousands that attend the church and all that, how many people actually go through it all? A handful? What's the point? I wouldn't invoke it on you and say, got to do this, got to do that. But you need to make it a daily occurrence in your life. You need to realize that it's important. The first scripture I ever memorized, and I know a lot of scriptures, I've given my life to Christ when I was 22. So in essence, I've given my entire adult life to the gospel and the reading of his word and the studying of his word. That's why I'm an amazing person. You won't encourage me. I encourage myself. I do it often. I got up this morning, I said, you good looking you. And what was amazing, I look the same. Some of you don't have that luxury. You look real bad in the morning, but we fix you up, we do you up. But me, I look the same. I get up, this is it. There's no, nothing to fix. It is what it is. Some of you can't say that though. Uh-uh. What was I doing with that? Oh, I know what I was doing. I was thinking about as, a, as giving my heart to the Lord and never been raised in church, the first scripture you would think a guy would memorize would be like John 3, 16. You know, God loved the world. He gave his son. The first scripture that God brought me to memorization that I, that I literally put on the refrigerator because I was going there every two minutes. I put that on the refrigerator. I was putting it before me was 2 Timothy 3, 16, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. 
And that scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That means that God breathed that word. And sometimes that word doesn't apply in the season, in the moment, but it does give you the ability for a lifetime. And the essence of that is simple. When you read that word, that word starts to read you. If a, a builder was to take out a level and he was to place that level on a piece of lumber and to discover that that lumber was not straight, the builder doesn't throw away the level. He straightens out the lumber. What oftentimes we do when things in our life are not straight, we throw out the level. We throw it out. So we leave relationships that level us. We leave churches that level us. We leave situations that bring balance and level us. You don't throw out the level, you straighten out the wood. And many times people do the opposite. I'm telling you, this thing will straighten you out. This is the lamp unto thy feet and a light unto my path. This is meat for men and milk for children. This has something for everyone. And if it's going to be, if you're going to get in rhythm with God, not only does the Bible have a place where I, tell, I told young people when I used to travel, I said, just think of a seven-up can, seven minutes a day. Take seven minutes a day, pray and read. I think that's a good starting point. Not that you lock into the seven and stopwatch it, but I just think take a time and a place and read that word. And then their time and a place to be in the rhythm of God is prayer. But here's the thing. Prayer is simply talking to God. How many times do we call for prayer services and nobody comes? It's like backing up over a hit and run victim. You want to you empty out a church? Call for a prayer meeting. Nobody will come. If I call for an anointing service, everybody comes. You know why? Everybody wants to be anointed. Everybody wants change. Everybody wants the power of God. What I'm telling you is there's a reason for that. Because we've taught so long in the church world that if you're not seeing breakthrough because you're not praying enough. And so you need to pray harder. I don't know about you, but it's not about praying harder. It's about praying smarter. And it's not how long you pray, but it's how strong you pray. And the Bible says, pray without ceasing. So what I encourage you to do, what I do, I get up every day and I give my life to the Lord. I give my life to Jesus each and every day, afresh and anew. Lord, I thank you. My life is yours today. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm your son, and I thank you because of the blood of Jesus. My name's written down in that book. So every day, I give my life to the Lord. Every morning, I do that. I don't want to leave anything to chance, but I also want the Lord to know that my life every day is yielded to him. And then after I do that, I just talk to him throughout the day. And sometimes it's short, sometimes it's longer, but that's the beauty of talking to a, a loved one. They know the heart. And they know there are times when you need to really express it. And there are times you just need to come and just chill with that loved one in his presence. And that's really what prayer is all about, talking to a family member. And when you have a wonderful prayer language, when you do not know how to pray as you ought to, that spirit kicks in. And I want to encourage you, every believer, they can have that ability to speak in that beautiful prayer language because God's given it to all believers. Sometimes we've white-knuckled it, we've made it difficult, we've made it a theological base or a, a theological chasm of us over here and you over there. But I'm telling you, it's as simple as receiving Jesus as Savior. 
If you receive him as Savior, you can definitely receive him as baptizer. The same Jesus that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you. So that same Jesus, when you received him at salvation, is the same one that gives you that presence of the baptism. So all you have to do is stop speaking English or Spanish, if that's your language, and then speak in the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I don't want it to be me. It'll, who else would it be but you? It's to pray without ceasing. Because I can only pray for a few moments for my family, for our church, for our community, for what we're doing, for our staff, everybody. But after that, I just pray in the Spirit. And I just pray it just off and on throughout the day. And I don't make it a big ordeal. I just talk to the Lord. And I encourage you to do the same. Because to get in rhythm with God, you get in it by talking to Him each and every day. And to have a successful year, not a 21-day flop, not a three-day explosion, not a 40-day fasting and coming short, but a day after day after a day that equals an overflow year. It really starts with an opportunity of giving. It's what I call the, the, the culture of generosity. What we have is a culture of taking. But what I want to encourage Oasis Church, and most of you have the concept, some of you are coming along, but the culture of Oasis Church is a culture of giving. It's a culture of generosity. The reason we're in this facility, which is nice, we renovated it, it's, it's fantastic. It's one of the nicest churches in town, but it's not our forever home. It's an it's a interim spot. But one of the reasons why it's an interim spot and we didn't start just magnificently building something that would blow out your wig is that city center because we knew that if we're going to make a difference we got to be there day to day we got to be consistent and so we put lots of effort lots of energy and millions of dollars all of our resources into helping kids and the reason why I tell you that because that started long before the building was built that started in our hearts because we have a culture of generosity. I've had it everywhere I went, and I still have it because I get around people that are givers. And some of you need to learn it. Can I tell you something? Can you just look at me real quick? I see all of you out there, because some of you are getting fidgety. Can I just tell you this? Because you're real spiritual, I'm gonna tell you. Don't tell them, Joey. Um, I'm wrestling with this. No, I'm gonna do it. But it's not me, don't get mad at me. Okay, say, we're not going to get mad at you. This side said it. This side's looking mad. Don't get mad at me. Okay, he, he said it. Gino's dead. Tithing is not giving. Tithing belongs to God. So you need to start with this principle right off the bat. To have a culture of generosity and not just be somebody that's living by the letter of the law. You've got to realize tithing is not yours. It's God's. Tithing is not giving. The Bible says you're cursed with a curse, Malachi chapter 3. You're cursed with a curse because you've robbed me and, and, you've, and you've robbed me because you didn't bring that tithe. That's 10% of your income. That means if you make $1,000 a month, a hundred of that belongs to God. It's God's money because he gave you the ability to get the thousand. So tithing is not giving. Tithing is God's. The giving is what you do after. It's the offering. It's the oasis 
Oasis Stream, the Oasis Cares, the, the missions you support. That's the offerings unto the Lord. Tithing belongs to God. God says, when you give to me, it breeds success. I breed in you a culture of generosity. That's why I, I make no apologies. I don't do that old stuff that people do in church. Well, we don't want to offend you if you shouldn't give. You should be offended, sucker. You're broke, busted, and disgusted. You need to be offended. We need to wake you up and get you to understand if you're a believer, it's not yours, it's God's. And after that, there's a culture of generosity that will just naturally, organically come out of you and you'll realize you can't help but give more. You can't help but bless people. You can't help but do that. Every church person in the planet should understand the principle and not leave it for 10% to give a 90% of the church. That stuff is the culture of the world. We've gotta have a culture of generosity here where all of us contribute, all of us engage, all of us be a part of something bigger than ourselves. All of us realize that we're a part of the kingdom of God. We want in the rhythm of revival. We do, want, we do not want anything less because giving empowers God to give back to us. Can we stand together? So I'll close with this. The Bible says, try me in this, says God. Test me. He doesn't say that anywhere else because the scriptures say, and some of you misquote it, thou shalt not test the Lord. Don't test God. No, no. You, it says, test me in this. I encourage you, test God in that. Give him 10% because it's not yours, it's his. And after you give him 10, then give that offering and you watch God. One of the great stories, and we have many in the church, but was one of our wonderful church family, Juanita. She never had been a person that had a culture of generosity like that because of her background in a denomination. And as a result of being here at Oasis, she heard a story about a giving, how it changed a, a dad, it changed a family. And Juanita decided with her family that she was going to honor God in that arena. She's never done it before. She was insecure about it. She didn't realize that what's it going to do? She kind of thought, well, maybe it'll, it'll drop out of the sky before I hit the back door. But what God did, he started increasing her, her life, her business, her health. And then he did another level. Again, ceiling becomes floor ceiling becomes floor then he took it up another level where she, where she received in a mail a letter from all of her back uh portions of all the proceeds of her of her uh, college fund. She had 28000 in student loan and she received a letter out of nowhere that that $28,000 debt was canceled on assignment from God. And she'll tell you, she traces it back to giving. I trace back every blessing I had and still have because I learned that principle as a young 22-year-old man that said, God, I believe what that man of God is saying. I don't understand it, but I believe it. And if you're truly going to get in rhythm with God, it starts by you and I, everywhere we go, igniting hope. Do you know you have a congregation you don't even realize? You say, well, Joey, you have a ministry, you and Jennifer, and people see you, they know you because you're bald and handsome. It's, it's beyond that. I have a certain amount of people that I help and can reach, but you have a certain amount of people that I'll never help, I'll never reach. But God's called you to help. He's called you to reach them. He didn't call me to do it, he called you to do it. And you and I, if we're gonna have a rhythmic year in the spirit, you've gotta learn to ignite hope everywhere you go. It's what we call doing the work of an evangelism. It's in theology. The Bible tells Paul, he tells Timothy, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Timothy was a pastor, but God wanted Timothy to know you're to do the work of a person that ignites hope. 
Everywhere you go, Timothy, you're to tell people about the good things of God. You're to tell people how God changed your life. That's what igniting hope is all about. The Bible says he that wins a soul is wise. And you and I need to be hope igniters. I'm the...